Let me just read tonight from the scriptures and I want to turn to John 14. John 14, by the way, uh, was one of the, the favourite passages of scripture uh, that was often found in the lips of Winston Churchill, as we shall hear a little later. John chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 1 through to 6, and then I just read verse 27. So John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen. We know God will bless to us this reading of the Holy Script. Now my text tonight is taken from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. And my subject this evening, as announced this morning, Gospel Lessons from the Life of Winston Churchill. See, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 4, is one of those texts that made history. In fact, this is one of the pieces of Scripture that was loved and revered by the great man himself, Winston Churchill, and was often quoted by him during many of his favourite speeches. Now, Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill was a British politician who was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from 1940 to 1945 and 1951 to 1955. He is widely regarded as one of the greatest wartime leaders of the 20th century. He was an officer in the British Army, a writer, an historian, an orator, and an artist. Did you know that he won the Nobel Peace Prize in Literature? And was the first person to be made an honorary citizen of the United States of America. He was indeed a, an inspirational statesman who led Britain to victory in World War II. Now Churchill was born into what we call a, an aristocratic family. His father was Lord Randolph Churchill. He was a charismatic politician who served as Chancellor of the Exchequer. His mother Jeannie Jerome 
before she became Churchill, it was an American socialite. Now the story is told that young Winston Churchill nearly drowned as a boy. His family was on holiday in Scotland and um, the uh, young Churchill got into difficulty while swimming in a lake. A nearby gardener heard the shouts of his friends. He came running, jumped in and saved and rescued Churchill. You can imagine, put yourself in those shoes. The parents were full of thanksgiving and praise for the gardener's bravery. Lord Randolph Churchill said to that gardener, what can we do to repay you? And the man said nothing. Randolph Churchill said, but, but there must be something we can do. And the man said, yes, well, there is. Look, I'm a poor man. And I would like my son to go to college and learn medicine. So Churchill's parents, they paid for this tuition of this boy. Now, as the story goes, years later in 1943, when Churchill became ill in the Near East with pneumonia, the best doctor in the United Kingdom was sent for to come and effect his cure. Now, that doctor was actually the son of the gardener. The doctor was now Dr. Alexander Fleming. Churchill had an acute form of pneumonia. <coughs> Uh, Dr. Alexander Fleming was the discoverer of penicillin and no doubt he used his penicillin along with other medicine to treat that acute form of pneumonia. I have no doubt that God saved the life of Winston Churchill in providence through the medicine and the means of Dr. Alexander Fleming. Now that story is told by a man called Arthur Gladstone. Keeney, he was a Florida, Washington, D.C. newsman who served during World War II in the Office of War Information. Uh, Churchill, of course, was a young army officer. He saw action in British India in the Sudan and the Second Boer War. He gained fame as a war correspondent and wrote books about his military campaigns. He was at the forefront of British politics for 50 years. He held many political and cabinet positions. For example, before uh, the First World War, he served as president of the Board of Trade. He was also Home Secretary and First Lord of the Admiralty as part of Asquith's Liberal government. And during the war, he continued as First Lord of the Admiralty uh, until the disastrous Gallipoli campaign caused his departure from government. He briefly resumed at that time his army career and served in the Western Front as commander of the 6th Battalion of the Royal Scots Fusiliers. He then returned to government as Minister of Munitions and Secretary of State for War. In 1921 and 1922, he served as Secretary of State for the Colonies. He controversially uh, proposed the return of the pound sterling in 1925 to the gold standard at its pre-war uh, parity, a most widely um, 
thing that was blamed for the cause of deflation in the UK economy. And as usual, Churchill uh, was uh, to the fore in that blame. He opposed the Home Rule for India and he opposed the 1936 abdication of Edward VIII to marry Mrs Simpson. So during this time, because of the controversy, he was out of office. He was politic in the wilderness in the 30s. During this time, he took the lead to warn about Nazi Germany and then campaigning for rearmament. The outbreak of World War II in 1939, he was appointed the First Lord of the Admiralty again. Following the resignation of Neville Chamberlain on the 10th of May 1940, Churchill became Prime Minister. His steadfast refusal to consider defeat, surrender, compromise, peace helped inspire British resistance. This was especially true during the day when Britain stood alone and in active opposition to Adolf Hitler. He was particularly noted for his speeches, his radio broadcasts. These helped inspire the British people. Remember his blood, sweat and tears speech? He led Britain eventually into victory over the Nazi Germany. After the Conservative Party lost the election of 1945, he became leader of the opposition. After winning the 1951 election, he again became Prime Minister. In 1955, he retired. He died in June the 24th, 1965, ten years later, in Hyde Park Gate in London. He was afforded a state funeral by Queen Elizabeth and he was buried on the 30, January the 30th, 1965 in St Martin's Church in Bladen. And the anniversary of that funeral 50 years ago uh, was on Friday. There was a reenactment along the Thames. I'm told by one in the church that the real thing uh, 50 years ago was actually on the Parliament Channel, although I didn't see it. He left behind a wife and six children. His funeral saw one of the largest assemblies of the world's statesmen in history. Here was one of the greatest Britons of all time. That's what a 2002 poll suggested. Churchill is widely regarded as one of the most influential people in British history. And I asked myself, well, why remember Churchill? Do you know that there's a, a tablet on the floor of Westminster Abbey, adjacent to the tomb of the unknown warrior, and it's got these words. Remember Winston Churchill. And why do we remember Winston Churchill? Why, why was there a reenactment of his funeral? Why is there so much airtime given to him? Why am I speaking on this subject tonight when we could be speaking in other things? Well, there's a biblical principle. Give honour to whom honour is due. Do you know that during the state funeral, when his cortege was going down the Thames, the Thames, even the cranes that were working in buildings were lowered in salute and in memory of Winston Churchill. He, he's a great statesman. He was certainly a great spokesman for Britain when it stood alone. He, he's known as a great saviour. Uh, certainly saved us from uh, Nazi Germany under God. Others, of course, called him a, a warmonger. Uh, in the 30s, uh, they used to coin the phrase to quote the newspapers, good old whiny is added again. They, they called him a whiny. Uh, that is, he, he was always complaining about something. 
but he was indeed a great military leader, leader, and it's right that we pay tribute to him. And as I thought about the reenactment of his funeral, thought about the 50th anniversary just passed of that funeral on, on Friday, I began to think then you know, of gospel lessons uh, of Winston Churchill. And I come up with three. He loved the Jewish people. Do you know that his biographer, a man called Martin Gilbert, made reference to this fact in his official biography about Winston Churchill. There's a whole chapter, Churchill and the Jews. He had a lifelong friendship of the Jewish people. In a speech entitled Zionism versus Bolshevism, that's to do with the Russians, the Bolsheviks, he said some people like Jews, some people do not. But no thoughtful man can doubt the fact that they are beyond one of the most formidable and remarkable races which ever appeared in the world. Benjamin Disraeli, who was a Jew and Prime Minister of England at one time, he said, and I quote, and he was a friend of Churchill's, the Lord deals with the nations as the nations deal with the Jews. And um, Churchill had in his mind of the extraordinary role of the Jew throughout history. And he would have praised, for example, that from the Jewish religion, uh, Christ uh, appeared. Uh, and that the Christian revelation of a, as a system of ethics uh, was something most precious. Uh, to the whole of mankind. He pledged and prized to work on behalf of the British government to have the opportunity and responsibility of securing for the Jewish race all over the world a home centred in their national life. In other words, he wanted a Jewish state under the protection of the British crown. Britain at that time was in charge of Palestine. And we would have to say tonight, and I quote again from Churchill, that Jewish people have a right to have a national homeland. And isn't that remarkable that in Churchill's day, in 1948, uh, the Jewish state was born. And for the first time in 2,000 years, the Jews could look upon Palestine as their homeland. And of course, I'm often referring to, in my mind, of a statement that God made to Abraham. And I'll just give you the statement that's in uh, Genesis chapter 12. And in uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, the Lord said to Abraham, And I will make of thee a great nation. Remember, he's the father of the Jewish people. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And that, of course, that was a reference to Abraham's seed. And we deplore um, anti-Semitism. Uh, we, we deplore uh, attacks on individual Jewish homes and schools and synagogues, uh, whether they be in Germany or in France or in England. 
Uh, of course, Tuesday past, the 27th of January, was the Holocaust Memorial Day. And again, year by year, there's the anniversary of the Holocaust. And we remember the six million Jews that were murdered uh, by the Nazis uh, during uh, World War II. So here's one of the principles that, that, that Spurgeon, or, or that Spurgeon, I'm thinking of something else, uh, or, or that Churchill had. And the principle was he loved the Jewish people. The, the, the second principle that, that he had was he lived by Jehovah's precepts. Now, there's a guy called Richard Longsworth who's written a book and he entitled the book The Biblical Churchill. Now, now hear me out. You see, one of Churchill's favourite passages of Scripture was John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 4 in particular. And this was a passage that figured in his many speeches and pamphlets. In particular, he liked verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Here's the phrase that he liked. In my father's house are many mansions. Not rooms. The NIV has rooms. They're wrong. Rooms is not actually in the Greek New Testament. Uh, there's a difference between giving a room and a mansion. In my father's house are many mansions. And do you know he used that phrase five times throughout his career? And on very important occasions and important moments in that career, this figured in his speech. Let me just give you an example. In Dundee in Scotland in May 1908, which he had just won as a seat for Parliament, which he held for 14 more years, he spoke of the broadness and diversity of the British Commonwealth. And he said, and I quote, Cologne Cathedral took 600 years to build. Generations of architects and builders lived and died while work was in progress. Let it be with the British Commonwealth. Let us build wisely. Let us build surely. Let us build faithfully. Let us build not but for the moment, but for the future years, seeking to establish here below what we hope to find above. A house of many mansions. Where there shall be room for all. In 1911, as Home Secretary in London, he said that the British Commonwealth must be a house of many mansions in which there shall be room for all, each to develop to the fullest by personal and national contribution to the common united welfare and to the strength of the indivisible whole. Then in 1935, sorry, 1939, almost 30 years had passed, and Churchill then found these words again. He was reassuring the people that were under the uh, Nazi jackboot that their ultimate liberation was sure. 
And he said, the day will come when joy bells will ring again throughout Europe and when victorious nations master not only their foes but themselves will plan, build in justice, tradition and in freedom a house of many mansions where there shall be room for all. When he was in Cairo in 1943 at the Tehran Conference, President Roosevelt, that was Teddy Roosevelt, he sent a message to Churchill and said, we can't go to Cairo, the place is vulnerable to German air attack. Will you not consider choosing another place? Churchill sent a, 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 a telegram, there no emails then, and this is what the, the telegram said. Nine words. See St. John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. Now that was a bold thing for Churchill to send to Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, of course, always had a Bible with him. And this text was typed on the message by his map room staff. It was sent off. Some questioned the wisdom and wondered what would the response be. It was brushed aside by the president. And where did they meet? They met in Cairo and had the Tehran conference there. And of course, lastly, in a crucial speech of post-war years in Fulton in 1946, he was arguing for the continuation of special Anglo-American relationship that was born in World War II. And he said none of these clash with the general interest of a world agreement or a world organization. On the contrary, they help it. In my father's house are many mansions. You know that in his speeches, and I've only read one passage of scripture that he used five times, but the primary source of interesting illustrations, descriptive images, stirring phrases, all come from the King James Bible. Churchill had a knowledge of the Bible and it manifested itself in direct quotations. If we could look up all his speeches, you'd hear references to the Tower of Babel, Belshazzar's feast, a millstone around the neck, great gulf fix between paradise and hell, the last great battle of Armageddon. Now, Churchill was not strictly a religious man. Although he didn't deny God existed or deny the religion of the Bible or deny the church's right to preach the gospel, I do know that he um, received a letter from the late pastor Willie Mullen and the letter offered um, Willie Mullen's life story or biography and uh, Churchill sent back the reply that he was to forward the biography. That's the, the short reply that, that came. He did say on one occasion, I believe what I want to believe. But I want to tell you this. He believed the Bible to be the word of God. For Churchill, it had to be a light for him to live by. So not only had he a love for the Jewish people, but he lived by Jehovah's precepts. He took the Bible seriously. It was often 
on his lips. And one final thing. He liked the Jesus principle. I come back to how I started in the first few sentences. John chapter 14 was one of the most important passages of scripture that was quoted by Churchill. It was a favourite passage. Imagine sending a message to President Roosevelt. See John chapter 14 verses 1 to 4. In other words, I want you to look it up. I want you to read it. I want you to think about it. And then I want you to come to Cairo. You see, if you look at John chapter 14, and I'm not going to give you a full exposition of this chapter as we finish, but this is in your bulletin. Notice here, there's a new piece. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Link it up with verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, John 14, remember, especially verse 1 and verse 1 to 4 in general, was designed to comfort God's people. They were designed to encourage God's people to, to trust in and rely on the Lord. Remember, they were facing a new set of circumstances. The news of the day that Jesus was going to leave them had made them sad. They were full of mental turmoil. Aren't we often distressed by a new set of circumstances and a new situation? Aren't there many different reasons that make us anxious for now and the future? Maybe you're here and you're anxious about your loved ones who are not saved. And it's a new year and they're still without Christ. And you're worried. You're concerned for them. Maybe you're anxious about employment. Will you still be employed by the end of the year? I know many within our farming community are anxious about the price of milk today. And we should take the plight of our dairy farmers on our hearts. I do believe that the government should be supporting them. I, I'm not a favour of the European Union, I have to say that. They are dropping the quotas. I think it's later on this year or, or into next year. And um, because of what's happening globally, there, there's been a drop in, in the price of milk. Maybe it's the sickness of a loved one. I was speaking to Miriam this afternoon, by the way, and we were just reflecting on the words. In God we trust. It's on the money, it's on the paper money, it's on the coinage. And remember Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Put your trust in the Lord. And you see the words here, ye believe in God. Believe also in me. And the word believe means to put your trust in, to trust in me, adhere to me, rely on me. Don't trust in man. Men will let you down. As we said this morning, because we're creatures of clay, we let each other down. People will let you down, preachers will let you down. But the Lord will not fail you nor forsake you. The Lord is not a disappointment. 
See, there's a new peace here. As you face a new circumstance, don't let your heart be overrun by anxiety and fear. You believe in God. Believe also in Christ. Put your faith and trust in him, come what may. Don't have confidence in man. Notice also here, quickly, there's a new place. Verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You see, this ultimately has to be a reference to heaven. And um, Churchill had very fond memories of the house and place where he was born into and reared and brought up. And no doubt all of us can have precious memories about uh, what we call our homestead, to use an American phrase. And think of what Christ had said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he left this earth about 2,000 years ago. Isn't it amazing that it took God six 24-hour days to prepare the universe for us to live in? And when God made it, he made it good and he made it perfect. It's interesting that in Dublin this week, Stephen Fry, who's an ardent homosexual, uh, he said that he would contend with God and why he made the universe in such a bad state and why is there sickness in the world and why is there suffering. And I want to say, God didn't make the universe in a state of sickness and a state of suffering. God made it good. He made it perfect. And it's because of sin and because of death and because of sickness in the world that come in as a result of sin. Have you got assurance of heaven? Can you say this world is not my home? I'm just a passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Remember the psalmist, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, we have only one life. And there's no reruns. We can't rewind the clock. We've got to live with eternity in view. We've got to live with heaven in view. Yes, there's things that happen that we can't understand. There's things that happen, yes, that we can't change. But let's have the assurance in our heart that we're bound for this new place. My father's house. There's many mansions. And I've got assurance that I'm going there. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, for which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know him I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's a tremendous text of scripture. Notice something else very quickly in closing. There's a new promise here. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Underline those words. You see, the Lord Jesus has promised to come back again. Whenever Benjamin Disraeli was in his maiden speech in Parliament, he was shouted and heckled and booed and told to sit down. At the end of his speech, he closed with this. I will sit down, but I will come back again. 
I thought of those words. I will come back again. And isn't that what Jesus said? I will come again. The Lord is now rejected by the world as own. But one day he will return. This earth belongs to him. And I believe tonight in the personal visible return of Jesus Christ to this earth. He's coming back and his feet will be in the Mount of Olives. The very Mount that he left. And when that day happens... Will you be ready to meet him? Will you be with him? Because here's the promise. I will come again. We don't know when it'll be. But it is coming soon. There's a new prospect here. He says. And receive you unto myself. That where I am. There you may be. Also. Whenever the Reverend Martin was here last year, he, remember, told us the story of the man in hospital writing on his eyelids, with Christ, far better. The Apostle Paul, in the day of his departure, he could say this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I have fought a good fight. In other words, the war is won. And he says, I have finished my course. The race is run. I have kept the faith. Well done. Can you get the picture? The war is won. The race has been run. And there's a well done. And maybe we could add, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. God will be saying, good son. On that day, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It's not the prospect that's in front of us. We're going to be with Christ when the war is won, when the race is run, and there's going to be a, a well done, and there'll be a good son. There'll be a reward for the people of God. Have you got this peace in your heart? The peace of Jesus. Are you bound for that new place? The home of many mansions. Have you lived in light of the promise? He's coming back and he's coming for me. Glory to God. What excitement. Do you know if a loved one's away, you would have a bit of excitement. If and when the time comes, Miriam says that she's returning back to Northern Ireland, we'll be excited as a family. We'll be live in light of that. We'll be ready and anticipation. But let's lift it up. Our Lord Jesus is coming back. He says, I will come again. Are we excited? Are we looking for him? Are, are we living in light of that? And think of the prospect. We're going to be with him. He's going to receive us. The race will be run. The war will be won. There'll be a well done. I wonder will he say, good son. I leave that thought with you tonight. Here's the three principles. Gospel principles. May we take them to heart.
Have we a love for the Jewish people? Do we live by Jehovah's precepts? Do we like the Jesus principle? This is what he taught his disciples.